So we're in the second half of a letter in the New Testament called the book of Ephesians. And in the first half, where we've been in the last several weeks, it was all about how God showed up and all that he did on the behalf of all those who put hope and trust in Jesus. And here in the second half of the book, what the Apostle Paul is going to help us understand is, so what? What does that mean? How do we respond? And the words that were on the screen just a moment ago Live a life worthy of the calling. Literally can be translated, respond accordingly. According to what? According to what God has done for you. Respond in kind. So I want to begin with a picture today because I think this picture helps us understand where the Apostle Paul is going. So let me show you the image of a man here. This is Zhao Gumarish. And he was living on the streets of a city in Brazil for three years before he walked into a barber shop asking for a razor so he could trim his beard. And Zhao was definitely in need of more than a beard trim, so the barbers went above and beyond and they gave him a full makeover on that day. When Zhao first came into the barbershop, the staff um, ordered some food, but he politely declined, not wanting to take a handout. And the staff didn't give up, though, and in the end, Zhao walked out with a trimmed beard, a fresh haircut, new clothes, a jacket, and a pair of shoes, and in the article it says, he looked like an entirely, completely different person. Same guy, before and after. And in our context, we understand what a makeover is. The Apostle Paul, in this letter called Ephesians, is going to give us a similar kind of picture. Now, he didn't know about makeovers like we know them, but he tapped into something he did know about. And there is a before and after that relates to you and me in our relationship with Jesus. And here's the key part of this passage. We're going to see it in the middle of what we're going to look at today. But he's going to say, put off the old self... And self has this idea of who you are. It has to do with identity. It's an identity word. And put on the new self, right? That in a relationship with God through Jesus, you are no longer who you were. Now you are someone new. And there is language around put off and put on that has every bit to do with changing clothes. And so what Paul is telling us right up in the front here, there's an outward appearance that reflects your new identity in Jesus. And there's some things for us to put on and some things for us to put off. But I mentioned that Paul is tapping into something that he knew from his culture, and it's something that he already mentioned in his letter, this image of makeover. But in his context, it played out very differently. But I think we're going to see it clearly. Here's where he began in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, in love, he, he is God, predestined us, loved us in advance for adoption to himself as sons. God has no natural-born children. All his children are adopted by his love and by his grace. A couple of verses later, he says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The word redemption is a Roman slave market word. And combining these two ideas of what he has already told us, here's what Paul said. Do you know what your story is and my story? Is that spiritually speaking, we were on the slave market of sin. 
And there was a debt, just like the slaves in the ancient world, that could not be paid off. And really the foreseeable future was to remain a slave. But there is this event, and it's a matter of historical record, where sometimes people in authority, and sometimes even the Caesar himself, the ruler of the Roman Empire, would show up at a slave market and randomly just say, you know what, I'll take that one. And I'm going to adopt them as my child. And I'm going to adopt them into my family so they're not even just free to go. They are free to now live in the palace. Because now they, in every sense of the word, have become royalty. And the Caesars did this just to show their magnanimous nature. And Paul is using that picture to say that your story is that the ruler of the universe showed up, the ruler of all. And you know what he said to everybody who put open trust in him? I'll take that one. And if you have taken that step of faith and trust, that's what God says about you. And you've been adopted by him. And the redemption is that he bought you off the slave market and didn't just set you free. He says, now you belong to him. You get to walk together with the God of all things. And there was actually a change of clothes that came with the Caesar showing up in the slave market and adopting somebody. Because you know what a slave wore? You've probably seen it in a lot of movies and different things. It's called a tunic. And in the Roman Empire, a person was issued one tunic per year and also issued one pair of wooden sandals every two years. So we think Crocs are a new thing. That idea has been around for a long time. I don't know if they accessorize like they're doing today. But imagine what those clothes looked like and smelled like and were like at the end of a year for a tunic. But when you were adopted, you got to wear something that's become a little bit of a joke in our day, but it was serious business back in that day, and it's called a toga. And for us, it means, you know, frat parties and things like that. But in the ancient world, it was a status symbol. And if you were that slave, bought off the slave market, and now living in the home of the Caesar, you put on new clothes. And those clothes matched your new identity. And so you dressed in a way that reflected who you are, who you're becoming and you're, you're standing. And so Paul is going to tap into this whole image here of who we were before we met God and stepped into a relationship and after. So with that picture in mind, let's jump into this passage here, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, what's interesting about that is Paul's not just looking out the window at the world saying, isn't the world a terrible place and isn't it filled with a bunch of bad people? Because who is he writing to? He's writing to people who, for the most part, are Gentiles. And now he's helping them to understand, yeah, this is where you came from, but you no longer live there. He's saying in the futility of their minds, that's a picture like we might say to be on a treadmill where we think we're making progress, but we're staying exactly where we are. We don't get anywhere. And they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, just didn't know. 
due to their hardness of heart. We said, you know what? I'm not going to go that direction. I'll figure it out for myself. I'll do my own thing. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. No boundaries. And they're searching for the next high. But it leaves them very empty. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that, notice, you, he's talking to them. Followers of Jesus who used to live in the place that he was describing. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. It's real easy to come across sections like this and to say, yeah, that's right. That's what the world is filled with. He's talking to people who put faith and trust in Jesus. So the context, what is Paul talking about there? He's not trying to get the world to live like Christians. Instead, he's talking to Christians and he's trying to get Christians to live like Christians. To say, you don't live at your old address anymore. You're not the person that you were all on your own. There's a new identity. You've been adopted. You've been redeemed. You've been bought off the slave market. Now it's time to put on some clothes that reflects your new identity and who you are in God and a relationship with him. So taking a run and start again, the last phrase from what we read, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, right? You don't live there anymore, and is corrupt. That word is rotten, putrid, would be another way to translate that, through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. And those are words not just of, okay, here's the line, and there's a line. These are words of identity. This is who you are becoming. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is tapping into this picture. He wouldn't use the word makeover, but he would use the image of a slave who has become an adopted son of the ruler. And in a relationship with God, that's who you are, and you have a new identity. And so wear some clothing that reflects your new identity. And there's going to be some stuff to put on. There's going to be some stuff to take off. But let's be really clear. He's not talking about threads. He's talking about thoughts. And here's how that plays out. All these words that he uses that are thought words, minds, your understanding, what you learned, how you were taught, the spirit of your minds, and what Paul is saying here is something that I think we understand. We've seen it even in ad campaigns. Anybody remember the Apple ad campaign called Think Differently? Think Different. They would put up famous people like Albert Einstein, people who have changed the world. They had um, Jackie Robinson up there, great guy, even though he was part of the Dodgers. He was an okay guy. And they would say, think different, right? Be different to be positively different. And here's the progression of what Paul says, and this is so vitally important. And I fear that sometimes faith in Jesus often gets reduced to just, where are the boundaries? And I'm not really crazy about those boundaries, so I'm not gonna do that. I've had people come to me and say, so is being a Christian, is following Jesus, you know, does it amount to, I can't sleep with whoever I want to if I'm not married to them? <sighs> And there's a part of that, it's like, yes, there is a behavior that comes along with following Jesus that reflects the heart and the character and the nature of God. 
But here's the rest of the story. You know where it begins? The same place that Paul began this letter. It begins with God showing up and doing for you on your behalf what you could never do. He loved you before the world was even made and he has put his affection in your direction and he bought you off the slave market and he invites you into his family and now he wants you to wrestle this identity thing to the ground that you are no longer who you were and respond in ways that match your new identity. So yes, there are ways in which we're called to respond, to behave, but the story is so much bigger. And the difference between those things is a difference between religion and following the Jesus of the Bible. Because what is religion? Religion is advice about how you can work your way into God's good graces. What is the message about following Jesus? God showed up and he loves you and he sacrificed himself for you. We just remembered that with some bread and some juice. And he's invited you into his family. Now, respond accordingly. There's such a bigger picture at place, but we need to not only understand what God did, we need to think differently. And ultimately, what's true about who God is gets worked into who we are, and then we work it out into real life. Let me give you one example from history of somebody who did this. His name is Augustine, and he lived back in the 300s, one of the great Christian theologians. And in his life before God, he was very promiscuous and had a lot of relationships with a lot of different women. But then he met God and put his faith and trust in him. One day, he's getting off a ship. He pulls into a port, and there's one of the women with whom he has been before. And she walks up to him, assuming, you know, it's business as usual. And she walks up to him and embraces him. He just kind of stands there, and then he begins to walk off. And she's thinking, well, maybe he doesn't recognize me. And so she calls after him and says, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine, who's walking away, he stops, and he turns around, and he says, yes, but it is no longer I. That's somebody who has wrestled to the ground this idea that God showed up. I have a new identity, and now let me live out of that new identity. What reflects my new self? What kind of behavior is that? And so Paul invites us to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And he's going to go on and give us four examples that we have time to work through um, of what this means, right? But it begins with God. We work it in, and now we work it out. So let's look at the four examples that he gives us here. Here's the first one. Replace pretense with honesty or replace falsehood with honesty. Therefore, and there is the shift, right? Therefore, now comes the behavior part. But what is it? Therefore, what is it there after? What came before? God showing up, we work it in. Now we're working it out. Therefore, having put away falsehood, and that can also be translated the masks, the phoniness. It can be outright lying, but it can also be, in our sense, hiding and not being completely honest about who we are. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Paul's saying part of 
your new identity is that it would be a pretend-free zone and that we wouldn't be a bunch of actors playing different parts and representing one thing when the reality is something different and we would simply speak truthfully to one another and we would engage truthfully with one another. I think we also have an additional challenge in our day with social media that it's real easy to contribute to some of the lack of truth that's out there. Have you realized that just because something's online doesn't make it true? Have you noticed, you know, that that's a reality? One example, just a couple weeks or months ago, there was this kerfluffle on social media about Hobby Lobby, whose owners are outspokenly followers of Jesus, and there were pictures about satanic statues in Hobby Lobby, and people were saying, well, I guess even a Christian business can be bought out for the right price, and people passing that along and retreating all of that, every picture was false, was fake, created. And so in this day, I would hope that the followers of Jesus would be the last ones to pass on anything that is not true. But boy, sometimes it's juicy, isn't it? And we like to be in the middle of juicy. The Apostle Paul says, put away all falsehood, put away all pretense, speak truthfully, engage truthfully, pass on what is truthful. But boy, sometimes we like to live in the cesspool of misinformation because we like it. Paul says, put it away. That's something to take off and to put on. I want to give you an application with each of these. Um, and here's an application for this. It's a commitment to say, I will be real when I'm tempted to hide. I'm tempted to pretend. May we all work to help this community to become a pretend-free zone. Here's the second um, example that he gives us. Replace grudges with grace. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This means keeping short accounts with anger, with resentment. And here's my guess for many of us that there can be some ongoing, grinding, lasting sense of holding on to something with somebody who probably did something very real to you in a very real way. And have you found, like I've found, that when I debate that person in my mind, I win every debate, hands down. Man, I look great, they look terrible. And Paul's saying, you know, it's just time to lay that down. Because it's not hurting them, it's hurting you. And to have that alive in your heart, that's not part of what it means to belong to the God who has showed up in his grace. And he's given grace to you. And so now there's an opportunity to give grace to others. Here's an application for that. I will give, forgive someone I resent. And not next week, not next month, not next year. Is today the day to finally say, you know what, I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to let it go because it's not something that lines up. It's not the kind of clothing that comes along with following the God who has given me grace. And I'm not saying that was right, but I'm saying the God who has given me what I didn't deserve has called me to lay some of that down. Example number three, replace stealing with generosity. 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And you notice with each one of these, yeah, there's something to put off and there's something to put on. And when God calls us away from something, I'll promise you this, he's always got something better. And here he's calling people who are takers in one way or another to not be just takers, but to be givers. And there's many ways in which we can steal. Yeah, we can take something from somebody, but maybe it's not even a material thing. Maybe we take credit from somebody else or we take dignity or respect from someone else. And so we're invited to be givers and not takers because taking is not in line. It is not the right attire for people who belong to the God who has been so generous. So here's an application with this one. I will give to someone in need. And there are many ways in which we can give. Maybe it's our time. Maybe it's our attention. Maybe it's our genuine care for somebody who's hurting. A lot of ways in which to make that real. A lot of ways in which to be a giver. And then one more. Replace words that harm with words that heal. And I hate this one the most. You know why? Because it nails me the most. I'm originally from the East Coast. And on the East Coast, um, sarcasm is viewed as one of the fruit of the Spirit. Right? <laughs> and it's just life. Right? And normal. And yet, it can be so cutting and can be so detrimental. And I think we all know in one sense, words are powerful. Words can build up. Words can tear down. What kind of words? come out of our mouths. And we can think back maybe to a time when somebody said something and man, those words are still with us. Can I give you one example? I've shared this before. When I was in eighth grade and for us, we had middle school. So eighth grade was the highest grade before ninth grade, which started high school. So I was in eighth grade near the end of the year, almost a high school student. We had to weigh in in gym class for wrestling and I weighed 88 pounds. I aspired to be a 90-pound weekly um, in eighth grade. And the gym teacher, um, in his amazing wisdom, he was just an interesting soul. Uh, when it was time for our group to wrestle, he called us the broom handle group. That's like, whatever. But you know what? Days after that, and even a couple years after that, there was somebody who was in there, and you know what he called me? Broom handle. And I don't want to say who it is, Ted Beam. But <laughs> those words can stay with you all these years later. You can still remember that. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Let no corrupting talk, rotten, putrid talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Words have power. And there may well be something about our speech and our words where we need to take some of those off and put on some words that are different, positively different words that build up. An application with this, send an encouraging note to someone today. Text them, email them, call them, say it to their face. Send an encouraging word, and my guess is you'll see a reaction that says, oh yeah, words are powerful, words matter, and words can bring life and hope and meaning to someone. 
And we've been invited to put that on. And now Paul's going to put together a whole bunch of stuff. And we don't have time to unpack all of this, but here it goes. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And by the way, real quickly, if you think that the Holy Spirit is some inanimate force, kind of like Star Wars, the force, it's not. He's not. You cannot grieve an inanimate force. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We talked about that before. That's a down payment guaranteeing everything that God has promised to you. That one day everything will be made complete according to God's power. So let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, right? Put some stuff off, put some stuff on. And this last phrase is what takes this out of the realm of moralistic teaching that's like, you know, any other place that you might find it because it roots it in what has already come. Why would we do that? Are we trying to earn our way into God's good graces? No, we're trying to respond. Do this as God in Christ forgave, past tense, you. God's love and grace and power showed up. Now we're called to live in a way that matches our new identity. And you remember what Paul said? Put off the old self and put on the new self. Now I'm going to take a guess at which of these is more difficult. And maybe this is born more out of my own experience and you can agree or disagree with this. I think when we look at the positive things that Paul was talking about, yeah, grace is better than grudges. Words that heal are better than words that harm. And being generous is better than stealing. We, we get that. And I think it's easy for us to say, yeah, I want to put that on. Here's what I think is more challenging. is to take off the stuff that we have lived with for so long. We're familiar with them. We're often comfortable with them, but it's an and. And if we put on new things and still wear some of the old things, we may look like Joey Tribbiani and friends. (laughs) He's wearing a little bit of everything. And that's not a great look. We've been invited to put off and to put on. So here's bottom line of what we're saying. Sometimes God has to remove things in order to improve things. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. So let me ask you about your life. What needs to go? Because it's part of where you came from. But it's not part of what it means and what it looks like to be adopted by the ruler of all and to live in his house. Would you bow your heads together with me? God, thank you for your love and your grace that showed up first and took the first step and every step in our direction, even to the point of offering your life on a cross for us to make payment. That's how we got bought off the slave market of sin, is that you took our place. And so God, may we understand that life with you is is your doing, it's yours to give, and it's ours to respond.
and it's ours to experience, and it's ours to make real. So God, would you work into these hearts and minds of ours who we are in you, and may we respond accordingly, ways in keeping with all that we have received from you. And God, may it be only to your honor and glory. So we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.